It's good to see everybody out this evening. Uh, as it was sort of announced uh, in the in the bulletin, if you read the bulletin this morning, Greg had listed in there that tonight we're going to deal with the issue of social drinking. We're going to talk about drinking alcohol. Uh, and so that, that's going to be our aim. That's going to be our study. Uh, actually, I don't think it's a difficult question. Uh, I think it's an easy one. I just think that there's been a lot of misapplication, and I think that there's been uh, a lot of people that aren't willing to maybe take a stand. I was telling some of the people this morning uh, that on Friday I had to go to Franklin for work, uh, and it was about 1.30 in the afternoon, and I stopped at a gas station, and I just got off the phone with Kristen, and I went into the gas station. There's about six people in line at the gas station, and uh, other than myself, there was one other person not buying beer at 1.30 in the afternoon at Franklin. And I got back to the truck and I called Kristen. And I said, it's 1.30 in the afternoon and everybody in here is, is buying beer. I wonder what's going on. Uh, and I just was sort of shocked by that. Maybe I shouldn't be. Uh, but I just thought that was sort of interesting. Uh, it's just really commonplace uh, in our society. It's a common practice for people to drink. That's not anything that's abnormal at all. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of statistics, but I've got some that I'll give to you. Uh, One study that I looked up said that more than a quarter, 25% of all traffic-related deaths are the direct result of alcohol impairment. It says every day, 30 people in the United States die in car crashes with an alcohol-impaired driver. This is one death every 50 minutes, so that means that one person will die on, on average while we're here worshiping this evening. The study said on average roughly 40% of inmates who are incarcerated for violent offenses were under the influence of alcohol during the time of their crime. Uh, Brian Williams is our subject matter expert, and I told him I was going to quote him. He didn't give me a percentage, but I said, Brian, of police calls that you would receive, how many are involving drugs and alcohol? And he, you know, he, he just said a lot. I mean, there's, there's a, a pretty good amount that are involving drug and alcohol related uh, situations, whether that's speeding, a wreck, some kind of fight, any of those kind of things are involving drug and alcohol, a good percentage of them. So when you see advertisements on TV and when you hear people talk about it, it'll make you believe it's all fun and games. You know, when you're young, people say, oh, it's, it's so great. It's fun. It's a good thing to do. I know we've studied this here in the past at College View, but I think we can always use reminders about it. And so that's what our goal is to do tonight, to remind us all about this idea of, of drinking alcohol. And this is really a big study, so I'm really trying to just cram a bunch of stuff into, into one lesson. And hopefully, hopefully we'll do a, a good job of talking about this idea, this sin of drinking alcohol. Uh, and so that's what we'll spend a few minutes talking about tonight. All right, so we're going to try to just, uh, I'm going to try to go quick. We're going to try to hit a bunch of points, so uh, hopefully we can we can stay together and make sense of what we're talking about. The sin of drinking alcohol. You know, in the first place, uh, we want to say that drunkenness is an, is an old problem. It's not something new. You know, people uh, having an issue uh, drinking and getting drunk isn't just something that started recently. It's been going on a long time. Actually, the very earliest record of drunkenness found in the Bible is all the way back in Genesis chapter 9. You remember Noah, of course, after his family, him and his family, got off of the ark. In verse 20, it says, Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Uh, so uh, all the verses I'm using tonight are the New American Standard. Uh, but Noah became drunk. He, he 
planted a vineyard. He started partaking of uh, the, the product of that, and he became drunk. And so we read the very first instance of a person being drunk in the Bible. And actually, you know, we're cutting off half the story. He uncovered himself inside his tent. Then one of his sons was exposed to that, to his nakedness. And so even in this very first couple of verses we're looking at, we see the sin of drinking, getting drunk, and then how that affects other things. It's just sort of a, uh, a domino effect of things that are wrong. But all, that's all the way back in the book of Genesis. This is a long time ago. Drunkenness is an, is an old problem. So we want to say that right out of the gate. I mean, this isn't something new. I think what's sad, though, is, and obviously I'm not, I haven't been uh, around as long as some of you have been, uh, but I would guess, and, and I've heard people say that years ago, 30, 40 years ago, within the church, uh, it would be a collective agreement that, you know, you don't drink, uh, and, and it wouldn't be a question at all. But now that's not the case. As time goes on, there are people who, who are, who are claimed to be Christians, members of the Lord's church that are defending it, approving of it, and it's really sad. It's really sad. Uh, uh, this whole question of drinking alcohol. But drunkenness is an old problem. You know, in the second place, the Bible talks a lot about the effects of alcohol. Uh, the Bible talks about it. We probably know and have heard of, uh, in our own personal life experiences, people who have dealt with the effects of alcohol, and we can probably all say, yeah, that's, that's true, we've seen it happen. Some maybe more than others. But the Bible does talk about the effects of alcohol. And so while we're talking about that, just just... Think about, we're going, to, we're going to talk in more detail, but just think about the effects of alcohol. Why would a person want to do that? Why would they want to endure these effects? In Proverbs 20 and verse 1, the Bible says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Uh, so, pretty strong language used about alcohol here. It deceives the mind, uh, and you're not wise if you're intoxicated by it. The Bible says a, a lot about wisdom, especially in the Proverbs, and it talks about foolish things that you can do. Uh, among all of those is drinking alcohol. If you're going to drink wine, it's a mocker. Uh, you know, it, it's not going to do for you what you think it will. It'll mock you, is what the proverb writer said. It's a brawler, and if you're intoxicated by it, that's not wise at all. It's a foolish thing to become intoxicated by it. In Isaiah 28, beginning at verse 7, Notice it says, These also reel with wine and stagger from strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are confused by wine. They stagger from strong drink. They reel while having visions. They totter when rendering judgment. For all the tables are full of filthy vomit without a single clean place. I really appreciate the New American Standard uh, version here, especially when it talks about full of filthy vomit. I mean, So you're going to make yourself sick. You're going to... Uh, reel with wine, stagger from strong drink. It says that a couple times. You're going to be confused. Again, stagger, having visions. You totter when rendering judgment. That's not good for you. And the Bible talks about that. I mean, it talks about all the bad things. So when you're watching TV and there's an advertisement about some alcohol that's being promoted, they're not going to tell you this. Uh, they're not going to tell you that it's going to make you sick. It's going to impair you. It's all, it's all painted like a good picture, like it's a good thing. It's, you, you'll actually be better off for drinking alcohol. But that is not the case. Uh, it causes a lot of things, errors in rendering judgment uh, being one of those. What about Proverbs 23? Beginning at verse 29, it says, Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long after wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, at the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. 
Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. That's a pretty good passage talking about the effects of alcohol. So, uh, who has woe? Who has sorrow? So, depression, moodiness, contentions, uh, complaining. Uh, this one, especially, who has wounds without a cause? You're going to injure yourself and not even know what happened. you got redness of eyes. Uh, so it says down here, you know, it, it all looks good and sounds good, uh, but don't look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, because the end result is it's going to bite like a serpent, sting like a viper. Would any of you go and uh, if a viper was here in the floor and say, come here, let me get bit real quick, stick your foot out there? Not if you're right thinking. Not if you're right thinking at all. You wouldn't do that. Of course not. That's going to hurt. That's going to cause you pain. Uh, but that's exactly what happens whenever a person drinks alcohol. They are setting themselves up to endure these kind of effects. And so those are just a few verses that talks about the effects of alcohol. But none of those are good. Uh, and the Bible is, is already seen condemning it. It's not talking about it in a positive way. This isn't something that you want to do. Now we need to take a minute... Uh, and talk about the biblical usage of the word wine. You can't hardly, I guess, engage in this kind of study without talking about the, the way that the Bible uses the word wine. Uh, in the Bible, the word wine is used to talk about, of course, the product of the grape. And that would include fermented and unfermented liquid. And so that's kind of different for us because if a person today talks about wine, then we would just automatically assume they're talking about an alcoholic uh, beverage. But in the Bible, it's not used that way. Sometimes it can be to talk about fermented uh, grape juice, but it can also talk about non-alcoholic or non-fermented grape juice. And so that's different for us. I think there's this uh, idea, though, uh, of people that think that, well, if it says wine, it's talking about alcoholic beverages, and so you should just treat it as such. But that's not the case. And it doesn't take long to find verses that would refute that argument. In Isaiah 16 and verse 10, Isaiah says, Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field and the vineyards also. There will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. No treader treads out wine in the presses, for I have made the shouting to cease. Uh, so we're not really looking at the whole context of Isaiah 16. Uh, he, he was uh, prophesying about judgment to come. But uh, in this verse, he mentions wine in the presses. He says, No treader treads out wine in the presses. And so we have to sort of use our judgment here. Is this talking about alcoholic beverages or is this talking about non-alcoholic beverages? Because the word wine is used interchangeably in the Bible. Uh, without looking at, you know, I'm no Hebrew scholar. I looked at Hebrew words and there's different Hebrew words in a couple of verses we're going to look at to mean wine. But this is pretty quick. You can tell this isn't talking about alcoholic beverage because it says no treader treads out wine in the presses. Grapes are taken to presses and they're stomped and, they're, and the juice is pressed out of them. Uh, and then that juice is used. And so what this is saying is uh, there's no no treader treads out wine in the presses. As soon as a grape is squeezed, what comes out is not an alcoholic beverage. There has to be a whole process of fermentation in order for that to become an alcoholic beverage. So that's just grape juice. That's what Isaiah is talking about there. This wine in the presses, that would just be grape juice. Grapes that have been pressed and the juice that comes out of them. But the point we're making is there's the word wine used and it's not talking about an alcoholic beverage. In Isaiah 65 and verse 8, it says, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. It's talking about a cluster of grapes. A cluster of grapes is not containing alcoholic juice. It's, it's just grape juice. And when you take those and when you squeeze that, out will come grape juice, but it will not be 
alcoholic. It's not fermented. Uh, again, there has to be a whole process of fermentation in order for that to become an alcoholic drink. So, again, the word wine is used to describe grape juice. In the New Testament, in Mark chapter 2, in verse 22, this is Jesus talking. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Okay, so Jesus said you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins. So old wineskins, if you do a quick study, I'm by no means an expert on, on any of this, but if you do a quick study, they would put wine into wineskins. It would contain grape juice. And as that fermentation process would start, the wineskins would stretch and they would swell. Uh, and they would they would go to their max. Well, if you went and put new grape juice into those old wineskins that have been used, the wineskins would just burst. They can't stretch out anymore, and so you're going to waste, as Jesus said, what was common knowledge to them in their day. The wineskins are going to be wasted. The wine or the grape juice is going to be wasted as well. And so that's what he's talking about, that you're going to lose the wine and the skins as well if you put new wine into old wineskins. Uh, and so Jesus says, so what you do is you put new wine into fresh wine skin. So he uses the word wine. So is he talking about an alcoholic drink or is he talking about grape juice? Well, he's obviously talking about grape juice. When you, when you take freshly squeezed juice, you put it into a new wine skin. And so there's a New Testament passage where uh, this wine would be unfermented. It would just be grape juice. But again, for us, when somebody says wine, we automatically think, oh, that's alcoholic. But that's not so in, in Bible usage of it. And so, again, we just wanted to look at that to say that there are passages that show it's false that every time the word wine is used in the Bible, it means alcoholic beverage, okay? All right, so hopefully hopefully you're still with me. I know we're moving uh, pretty fast along here. Drunkenness is an old problem. The Bible talks about the effects of alcohol. We need to understand biblical usage of the word wine. We've got to let the context tell us whether it's meaning alcoholic or not. Sometimes it's easy. It talks about being drunk on wine. Okay, that's alcoholic. But sometimes in these verses, like we looked at, you have to you have to look at it and, and figure it out. You know, furthermore, the Bible uh, condemns drunkenness. Uh, drunkenness is condemned in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, back to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, Isaiah said, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. Again, I like the way the New American Standard uh, words that. But this is talking about a person who wants to drink continuously. They want to get up early and drink. They want to stay up late and drink. And they just can't wait till they get their next drink. They're going to get up early the next morning and continue drinking. They're going to pursue strong drink. Isaiah pronounced woe upon them. That's not a good thing, uh, those who drink continually. Later on in that same chapter, Isaiah 5 and verse 22, he says, Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. This is kind of interesting the way that it's worded. We wouldn't, we wouldn't consider a person drinking wine as a hero, but Isaiah said in his day there were people who would consider themselves heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. I would just submit to you that today there's people that think, oh, they're heroes in drinking uh, wine and valiant people in mixing strong drink. Like, you know, I, I'm good at that. But Isaiah was saying that that's not a good thing. There's going to be woe to come upon them. Uh, they're going to be sorry for the things that they've done there. Uh, the Bible in the Old Testament was condemning drunkenness. In the New Testament, uh, look at Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 45. There's just a couple of verses. Jesus uh, said these words. Uh, 
Jesus was talking about a householder who employed a steward to look after his affairs. And he was going to go away, and this steward was going to look after his affairs while he was gone. But the steward was unfaithful. He was mean. Uh, and look at what Jesus says about him. He says, If that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come in a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Alright, so the master left this slave in charge, but the slave said in his heart, this master is going to be gone a long time. Uh, and so he was unfaithful and he started doing all these unruly things. So he began to beat the slaves. Here's my question, and we're going to develop this point uh, further, I hope, as we go. Uh, but the question is, when did this evil steward begin beating the slaves? Well, with the first blow, right? He began beating them with the first hit. And then he began to eat and drink. I would ask you, when did he begin eating and drinking? We say, well, with the first bite. And then he started to get drunk. And I would just ask you, when did he begin to be drunk? Well, with the first drink. With the first drink, he began to, to be drunk. Again, Jesus was talking about this householder. He was an unfaithful person. Not somebody that we should uh, pattern ourselves after. Uh, but I thought that was interesting, sort of that progression. In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 9, these are a few familiar, a uh, couple familiar verses. So Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty serious. Uh, unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Rhetorical question, Paul asks. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he makes this long list of, of people that are engaging in all these different things. And one of those, he said, was drunkards. A person who is a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, you know, without a doubt, drunkenness is condemned in the Bible. In the New Testament here, Paul condemned that uh, at the church at Corinth. You cannot be a person who is a drunkard and go to heaven. And that's how serious that is. The Bible uh, condemns drunkenness. So about maybe at this point in, in the study, some would object and say, well, I drink a little bit maybe, but I don't get drunk. So I sort of got you, you know, drunkenness is condemned in the Bible. And yeah, there's, there's bad effects of alcohol, but I really control mine well. And I don't drink that much to get out of hand and I don't get drunk. How, how do you respond to that question? And really, that's the question at hand. Because people that are defending it, that's, that's their goal. Okay, well, I'm not going to get drunk, but I can drink a little bit. And, and the Bible doesn't say you, you can't drink a little bit. That's, that's maybe the objection that is raised. How do we, how do we answer that? Well, the, the best place that, that I know to, to go, and, and again, we're titling this point, the Bible condemns drinking alcohol, period. Not just getting drunk, but drinking alcohol, uh, right from the start. And the best place I know to go is 1 Peter 4 and verse 3. Really, we could have went here at 1 Peter 4 and verse 3 and just camped out and talked about this verse for our whole lesson. Uh, but Peter here, he talks about things that Christians maybe have done in the past, but now you're a Christian, don't do these things anymore. And so he says, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, 
So there he's, the Gentiles, be the people of the world is what he'd be talking about. You've, you've lived like this plenty enough in times past. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of things mentioned here, but there's sort of three. There's sort of a step-down progression that's made here. So the first one is drunkenness. Um, again, we know what drunkenness means. The, the Greek word for this is onophalugia. I don't expect you to know that. I, I just know that because I looked it up. But that means excess of wine. This means down and out drunk. I am just flat drunk. Drunkenness. Peter said, don't do that. Gentiles, people of the world does that. You might have done that in your past. Don't do that anymore, Peter says. Drunkenness. The next one here is carousing. Uh, carousing, the, the Greek word for this is komos, K-O-M-O-S. It may not mean anything to you. The King James Version renders this as revelings. Uh, this means uh, a revel, a carousal, uh, the consequence of drunkenness. So this would be this would be like a wild party where everybody is drinking. This would be uh, going to a party with the intent to drink, with the intent to get drunk. There's going to be a lot of drinks served and just a wild party. That's what this carousing word means, uh, a drunken party that affects a person's behavior. That's what he's talking about there. So we, those two words, but really what we want to focus on, this is, this is what we want to camp on right here, this drinking parties. My writing may be really bad, but this is the Greek word. Uh, potos is the Greek word that's used right here. Uh, different versions may render this different things. Here it's called drinking parties in the New American Standard. But this potos uh, literally means, hopefully you can, hopefully you can read my writing, uh, but it literally means a drinking without mention of amount. There's, there's no amount referenced at all. It just means a drinking. Uh, and so it doesn't necessarily mean to drink excessively. So well, I don't drink excessively. Uh, but this drinking parties is exactly social drinking. You know, the terminology that's, that's brought up and used is social drinking. You know, I don't, I don't go to wild parties, but maybe I have a beer as I watch the ball game. Or maybe after work, I go to the bar and I have a couple drinks. I'm not getting drunk and I'm not really going to wild parties. I'm not carousing. But that's what Peter was talking about here when he said drinking parties. The word literally means a drinking without reference to the amount. So literally, when you take a sip of drinking alcohol, what Peter said was, that's what the Gentiles do. That's what maybe you've done in the past. Don't do that anymore. You're, you're Christians. And so don't do that. This potos word. And again, this is, I'm no Greek scholar, uh, but this word, if you want to, if you want to look it up, uh, potos, that's literally what the word means. Uh, and so maybe we kind of lose that in translation a little bit. This is a noun form of this Greek word talking about drinking alcohol. And Peter says, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, these drinking parties. You know, it's interesting in Matthew 10, in verse 42, the verb form of this of that same word, Jesus said, whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. It's kind of interesting. Again, so the noun form, potash, drinking party, was used in First Peter 4 and verse 3. The verb form of the same word is used here. And Jesus said, if you give a person a cup of cold water to drink, you won't lose your reward. And so the question has to be, how much was in this cup of cold water? How big was the cup? Well, you don't know. No, it could be very small. And it could be just a sip of cold water. And that would be included in that, that verb form of that word, potos, to drink. 
just a little cup of cold water and you won't lose your reward. Uh, but back over there in 1 Peter 4 and verse 3, uh, he said, if I can erase all this, trying to erase all my, my writing. He said there, uh, drinking parties, when he mentioned that, he just meant at the first sip. Don't, don't drink alcohol at all. And so really, that, that's a pretty in-depth word study. Uh, but Peter's saying, again, that's what you used to do. Don't do that anymore. So, so if you're looking for a verse in the New Testament that uh, says you shouldn't drink at all, 1 Peter 4 and verse 3 is it. That's it. And so we probably all do well to, to underline that. If you're, if you're a person that's uh, an underliner in your Bible, circle that, star that, whatever you need to do, and do a, do a word study of those three words, drunkenness, carousing, and this word potos. Uh, for drinking parties, and it condemns it at the very first drink. Again, like that head of household man that Jesus talked about, when did he start getting drunk? Well, at the first drink. At the first sip he took is when he began to get drunk. Well, real quick, uh, let's talk about two arguments offered in favor of social drinking. We're not going to spend time to maybe answer every argument that's offered, but I do want to talk about two uh, even this past week at work, it's sort of funny, you know, I'm thinking about what I'm going to talk about this evening with you, and somebody at work mentioned, Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, it's, it's just funny how that, how that works out. One of the arguments offered in favor of social drinking is that Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, that is so. Joel read that for us. Jesus did turn water into wine. So the question, remember, we've got to look at the context and try to figure out, is it alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Uh, and so that's what, that's what we're tasked to do here. So in John chapter 2, we won't read the whole thing, but beginning at verse 6, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And so Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, draw some out now, take it to the head waiter. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Okay, so let's let's talk about this. Was this talking about, was this wine, is this alcoholic or non-alcoholic? And we just need to let the context uh, tell us which. So six water pots, each of them containing 20 or 30 gallons. So you got to know, they've already drank all these water pots dry, okay? They've already drank all of that dry. They're out. We're out of wine. we got to get some more wine. What do we got to do? we got a whole wedding party here. There's nothing to drink. We've got to get some more wine. And so Jesus performed a miracle. He told them to fill them, and they filled them to the brim. Uh, and then he turned that water into wine. So we're talking uh, on the low end, 120 gallons. On the high end, 180 gallons uh, of of wine that Jesus made, if assuming they're 30 gallons apiece. If we take the average, we say 25 gallons apiece, 150, 150 gallons total that Jesus made through these six water pots. Uh, so the argument would have to be uh, that these people had already well drunk, they were already they were already full, and then the person that says it's alcoholic wine would have to say that Jesus made then another 150 gallons of alcoholic wine and gave that to them. And so that becomes a real problem because not only here would Jesus be, uh, you know, approving of it, he would be causing it to happen. Uh, that would be to say that Jesus threw one of the biggest drinking parties that was ever thrown. Uh, and people that had already well drunk, he was just going to get them more intoxicated. And, and I just can't accept that to be so. I don't think you could either. 
if it was alcoholic wine, Jesus made enough enough alcoholic wine to get a bunch of people drunk. Uh, and so we know that can't be the case. I mean, we're sure that that can't be the case. Jesus did not make alcoholic wine here because he would have been causing drunkenness and that would cause Jesus to sin. The Bible condemns drunkenness and he would be causing people to, to become drunk. Now, one of the questions that's always asked is, what about the statement of this head waiter down here? He says, uh, every man serves the good wine first. Then when the people have drunk freely, so when they're full, they, they, they're well drunk, then he serves the poor wine. And so some people would off, have offered the suggestion that, well, it's alcoholic. You see, you know, you start out and you're drinking stuff that tastes pretty good. And then once you get pretty good and drunk, then you bring out the stuff that's not that good and they can't taste the difference anyway. They, you know, they're already good and drunk now and they can't really tell the difference. And that's what Jesus did. Uh, or that's what they did. And then Jesus came in with some good wine behind that. Uh, so again, that leads further to the point they're already drunk. If that's the case, they're already, they're already drunk. They can't even hardly taste what they're drinking. And then Jesus made them some more good stuff, nor 150 gallons worth of alcoholic wine. And that just, that just doesn't make any sense. I really think, and I think you would agree, that this wedding party, imagine yourself throwing a wedding, uh, and you're gonna get enough food and drink for everybody to come to your wedding party. And so, you want things to be nice at your wedding party, so you, you get a, a bunch of nice, things food and drink ready well people are going through it like crazy so you're at your wedding and you're seeing the amounts going down they are just they're going through this stuff like crazy they're tearing it up what are we going to do we've got to get some more we got to get some more food and drink out here and so you put the best stuff out there first you put the you put the best things you have available first once that's gone then you're in desperation mode okay we just got to get whatever's left over and put it out here for people at the wedding party to enjoy and i think that's exactly what this fellow's talking about Serve the good wine first. Then when people have drunk freely, they've had plenty, but there's people still wanting some more. Then you serve the poorer wine. You get out the stuff that's not as high quality. It doesn't taste as good. But when Jesus, it wouldn't be hard for us to picture Jesus performing a miracle and turning water into wine, and it'd be of the highest quality. And so when this fellow tasted it, he said, man, this is this is good. I mean, this is the good stuff. You've, you've kept the best till now. Of course, this waiter didn't know that Jesus had performed a miracle. Uh, but wouldn't that make sense? I mean, we can we can see that. Jesus did not cause a bunch of people to sin and get drunk. He didn't condone it. He didn't approve of it. And He didn't cause it, for sure. Uh, and so, this just doesn't make sense. This is, this is not an explanation of approving uh, of drinking alcohol. Actually, this is a good passage to show us that this was not alcoholic wine. You know, the second argument that's typically made... Uh, is from 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23. And this argument is, is that Paul recommended wine to Timothy. It says, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I like the way the New American Standard Version words this because Paul told Timothy, No longer drink water exclusively. Uh, so the recommendation was to use this wine for a medicinal purpose. So what was Timothy's normal practice? Well, he had to be told, don't just use water exclusively. You know, use a little wine for your stomach's sake. So that would tell me that Tim- Timothy uh, typically abstained totally from wine. His health was being affected here, and he still wasn't using it. Then Paul wrote to him and said, hey, it's okay. Use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments for a medicinal purpose. Uh, but this definitely isn't approving of social drinking. This, this is not the same. When Paul wrote to Timothy and said, use a little wine for the sake of your stomach, 
He wasn't saying, it's okay to, you know, go out and drink with your buddies after work. That's not what Paul was uh, telling Timothy at all. Oil and wine were common medicines for uh, healing sicknesses and things. I, I brought up this verse just to talk about the, the parable of the good Samaritan. We won't, we won't read it, but when he went to go show compassion on him, he came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. It was a medicinal use, oil and wine. This wasn't condoning social drinking. So that's just a couple arguments offered in favor of social drinking, but they don't, they don't hold water. All right, lastly, and maybe, uh, you know, depending on your opinion, maybe one of the, the best arguments against it, against drinking alcohol, would be that we're commanded to be sober. We're commanded to be sober-minded. In 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning of verse 5, Paul said, For ye are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet for the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You get the, get the kind of contrast that Paul's making. There's people that uh, are of the darkness. They're not in light. And so they're doing evil things. They get drunk. They get drunk at night. We're of the day. And so we need to be alert, be sober. And again, he, said, he repeats it. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of, of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so there's, there's just a real contrast made between things, darkness and things done in the light. In Ephesians 5 and verse 18, Paul said, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't waste your time on these things. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way, we get filled with the Spirit by taking in the product of the Spirit's work, by taking in His Word. That's how we're filled with the Spirit, with good things, things that are sober and good and good to think about, not wasting our time getting drunk with wine. And then lastly, uh, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, you know, this is a verse that I think we probably, most of us have memorized. We know it really well. Uh, Peter said, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, so here, this is formulated as a command. Peter says, Be of sober spirit. The King James Version says, Be sober, be vigilant. He says, Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Again, you have to do a, a word study, but the Greek word for sober is this word, nepho. And if you look up the definition of that, it means uh, to totally abstain, if I can spell it right, totally abstain uh, from any kind of thing that would impair your judgment. Total abstinence. Uh, and so when Peter said, be sober, uh, you know, that, that, needs to be, that needs to be taken as far as he meant it to go. Be sober, be on the alert. Why? Why would you do that? Well, your adversary, the devil, prowls around. I don't know why I can't say that word. Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So there's a lion in the parking lot when we get ready to leave tonight. Uh, and would you want to be on your on your A game? Well, of course you would. You know, if you slip and fall or something, the lion's going to get to you. He's, he's hungry, starving, seeking somebody to, to devour. Uh, you'd want to be at your best. You wouldn't want to have your judgment clouded. You wouldn't want to have any of your infirmities not being 100% because you're going to get ate up. You're going to get tore up. And so when Peter says be of sober spirit, then that's what he literally means. You need to be on your A game all the time. Be on guard because the devil is walking around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And it could be you. 
Uh, and if we allow ourselves to get impaired by something like drinking alcohol, among other things, then we could be like that person who is devoured. We could be that someone. And unfortunately, I think today, a lot of people who claim to be Christians are falling into that, that trap. Uh, so, the sin of drinking alcohol. Uh, I know I know I've talked a long time, uh, but all these things that are mentioned about alcohol in the Bible, it's, it's condemned. Drinking alcohol is condemned. And there's no justification for it. Uh, and unfortunately, people are straining, trying to cause and trying to create arguments for it. Uh, but all these commands are for our good, and God put them there for a reason. And so, you know, we would just say, Let, let's do that. Let's abstain from it. Uh, we don't want to, to do that. Like Peter said, that's what we've spent enough time doing in the past, like the Gentiles. Don't do those things today. Be a Christian and abstain from drinking alcohol. It is it is a sin. All right, I appreciate your attention. I know I know I talked a long time. We had a lot of material to go through. And I don't even think, really, we, we covered half of it. Uh, so maybe we'll have to do a part two at some point. But I appreciate your attention. Uh, be interested to talk to you and, and to give me feedback. You know, again, I'm no Greek scholar or Hebrew scholar, but uh, if you if you have some insight, and then please talk to me about that. Or if you or if you disagree, uh, let's talk about that too. We're going to uh, end this lesson with a song of invitation. We haven't talked about what you need to do to become a Christian, but you have the opportunity to do that if you know what you need to do. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, and you have faith in Him then why won't you be willing to repent of your sins, confess that faith, and then be baptized for the remission of your sins? If you've done that and you've fallen away, maybe you've got caught up in this sin of drinking alcohol. There's no better time than to make that right right now while we stand and sing this invitation song.